G'day everybody, Josh here. You're listening to Deadset Podcasting, Episode 1. Seven things I got really wrong in my first 12 months of podcasting. Thanks for joining the show at Joshua C. Liston on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook to reach out to me, Joshua C. Liston at Gmail. If you have any comments or suggestions for about today's episode or for the future, things you want covered about the Australasian podcasting experience. Okay, welcome once again. Seven things I got disastrously wrong in my first 12 months of podcasting. You're listening to Dead Set Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. This is exciting. A new podcast about podcasting. I've done several of these types of shows in the past and I'm not sure I ever really got it right. And I'm sure if you're listening, having heard one of those previous shows, you're probably in complete agreement with that statement. So let me just start off today by why this new show and why a focus on Australia, New Zealand, hopefully Japan, if we can stretch that far out into the world, and also Southeast Asia. It maybe comes from both a place of excitement about knowing we're in such a fertile part of the world for spoken word creation of any kind, particularly podcasting. We're much more competitive on a global scale for originality and quality and community than a lot of people maybe in North America or in English-speaking countries, particularly in Europe, would realise. And the other part of it is slightly more of a negative statement, I guess, but I don't want to sound like a grumpy guts from the bottom side of the world. I think it's a little bit like Australia particularly, and even maybe more so great podcasters in New Zealand, are talked about in passing as maybe a topic of interest and fascination, more so than genuinely valuable contributors to this global medium. So it's two parts. We're going to lean much more to the positive in this show that it's about helping podcasters in Australasia, exposing their work to the world and focusing down on what makes making audio in this part of the world special. And that will include how the relationships between the podcasting space and the community, public and commercial radio space are are different in this part of the world as it stands in October 2019. So that's where the show is coming from. And just one last thing before we get into our first one of my failures from my first 12 months of podcasting back in 2012, I just wanted to say that if you've given yet another podcast about podcasting from me, Josh Liston, yet another go, this idea has me more excited about talking about this subject than I have been in a lot of years. So The plan is not to go anywhere, not to disappear, and not to quote-unquote podfade at any time in the foreseeable future. So thank you once again for your time. If this is the first time you've ever heard me speak, thank you for your time. And we'll jump in with my seven mistakes from my first 12 months of podcasting. So just for some context, my first podcast was called DIY Music Movement. It was... A music marketing show, kind of like CD Baby's DIY musician podcast, 
but more so from the perspective of someone that was in an active band still and was more a musician than a marketer and also someone that had had a lot more failures than successes and some of them more public than what I would have liked. So that's what the show was about. DIY music movement. So my first mistake was focusing too much on what the show could be for me and the doors that it would open for me in my music career than focusing on what it could do for the audience and whether it would help them or help with a transformation or how it was going to benefit the audience. I knew that the information could benefit the audience. I was confident in that. Mostly the mistakes that I made, I was hoping people could avoid. But I was still tied up when I got into podcasting with the idea of what can I get out of this? Who can I meet? What doors can this potential platform open for me? And you know how far I got in that first 12 months using that perspective? Not very far. (laughs) It didn't work. I didn't get the interviews I wanted and I didn't have the impact on the local industry in my area and I didn't have a regional impact in my part of Australia or the world and people around the globe weren't interested in hearing a new voice that maybe without realising it was taking a very selfish approach to the space. If you do get into podcasting and I hope that you do, at some point give it a go, or if you're making a show already and maybe it's not reaching people and impacting them in the way that you maybe want it to, whether that's to help them or make them laugh or start a community discussion in a Facebook group or whatever it is that you want to achieve, maybe take stock of your own motivations. I've heard it said by Mick Malloy, who's a famous radio host in this part of the world and comedian and maker of movies, the collective audience is 50% smarter than you'll ever give them credit for. Which to me means, make sure you're giving those people credit in advance for how intuitive and perceptive they can be about what you're putting out into the world. People are going to know if it's self-centred and there's underlying motivations. So I would say further to that, here's a few easy ways to build confidence in your audience that you're there for the right reasons. Don't preface statements with, to be honest, if you're talking to someone, or to be honest with you, or words like, I'm going to be transparent, to be completely transparent with you. Those kinds of words make your audience think, because I used those a lot in my first 12 months. To be honest, classic Josh. This was a solo show, and I was saying to be honest to myself, which gave the audience the feel of, what's he need to say that for? We trust him. And it makes us lose that trust when he has to convince himself that he's being honest. The best way to be honest is to say what you mean and don't preface that with a bunch of other stuff because the audience then starts to doubt you. And how do I know this? Half a dozen of the closest people in my music world all said to me within the first 12 months of DIY music movement, Josh, you've got to lose those phrases that make us lose trust. And it sounds esoteric, but it's the most feedback I had in that 12 months was about, Josh, we trust you. We're giving you time in our ears, shutting out the rest of the world for you to speak to us. We trust you already. And when you fill up that time with statements about how we should trust you, it's actually having the opposite impact. So stop doing that. 
say what you mean, say it with confidence, I guess is what all that means. And whatever your motivations are, start with what's best for the audience and work back from there. And I'm sure you'll have people listening and excited about your show. Two apples, two trees, two tiny little buzzing bees, two tables, two chairs, two monkeys jumping over there. Number two, the second mistake that I made in my first 12 months of podcasting was putting the assets, the podcast assets cart before the podcast horse. So what I mean by that really is I went ahead and had a theme song produced which named the podcast. I'd recorded three or four test episodes. I had artwork designed by my friend Tristan Tate. Amazing. He's done all my artwork since then. Check him out. And that's not a plug to buy stuff off him. That's just a plug to have your mind blown by his Instagram account. I'll include that in the show notes, which should be a swipe or a tap away from wherever you're listening to this. I bought a domain name. I set up a WordPress account, set myself nearly sideways trying to get that organized. And I set up the first four or five reply emails in an autoresponder using the name Fret Fanatics Australia. Fret Fanatics Australia was the name that I had chosen before DIY Music Movement to build the podcast when I thought that maybe it would help me as a side benefit to putting content out there, get myself more guitar students. So it was going to be a very much more guitar-focused show to begin with. Now, here's the rub. Fret Fanatics Australia, FFA, was already owned as a business name by another gentleman from my town in my country. So let that sink in. It sounds a little sus, yeah? That's what I thought at the time. And I was so angry about it because I had every other asset imaginable. But if I wanted to use it for a commercial purpose, just in my country, where most of these potential guitar students would have to come from if they wanted to do an in-person lesson, or one that suited both of our time zones more easily, I had to be able to use Fret Fanatics Australia. I couldn't because I hadn't registered the business name. You know where that was? It was about the fifth item down in Google when I looked up the name. I couldn't see anything in the domain registrars. I couldn't see anything on Facebook or a website. This gentleman owned the name. I'd already put it out there a little bit to the public that something was coming under that name. I'd like to think it wasn't a malicious act and that it was more than likely just one of those moments in time where two people had the same idea at the same time and one in a million times they happened to be located near each other geographically when the other 999,000 times they could be in different countries or different sides of the world. So all that said, I had a bunch of money already into Fret Fanatics Australia. I had an FFA logo design, those test episodes where I'd worked intro scripts and different things like that, how I was going to reference the social media addresses and all that kind of stuff. They basically became almost useless. Besides, it gave me a little bit of practice talking on mic. So I ended up launching what would have been originally December of 2011 I didn't launch, I think, until the start of April 2012, because not only was it a logistical nightmare, 
because I hadn't bothered to check the business registry in my country. But it was a real kick in the guts for my confidence. I've, I've done all this work and now I have to do it all over again. Now, DIY Music Movement turned out to be a much better name for what the show became. The logo looked incredible with the DIY Music Movement kind of work in there, more so than Fret Fanatics. It was easier to say on mic and for other people. And it didn't have as much lock-in with pure guitar players. But I didn't know any of that at the time. All I knew was this mistake that took six seconds to make because you couldn't be bothered scrolling down an extra couple of lines on Google, Josh, that ended up costing you in time and lack of confidence and frustration the better part of six months of potentially growing the show and further, hopefully, helping people. So if you can get all the assets for your show, but you had the slightest inkling that you want to monetize that show at some point, make sure you go through the process of officially registering that show in your country so at the very least you can trade under that name at some point in the future and you don't lose six months of time and energy and confidence like I did. Okay, we'll move on to number three. Rule number three is very simple, it's very easy, and it's very powerful. I know I said that focusing too much on myself was probably the biggest mistake, but this one actually was probably almost equal with number one, and that was focusing too much on myself. This is probably only 1% lower on the bad things I did in year one scale. I started multiple shows when DIY Music Movement was struggling to be consistent. I have nothing against people that start multiple shows. The majority of us will only ever be hobbyists. A lot of us are happy with that. Over time, you may grow into being a hobbyist like I did. I had delusions of grandeur, which slowly became more reality-based and allowed me to focus on the fun and the connection in podcasting and just, you know, getting to do something like talk on a mic is fun. So if you want to have a show about everything that you love and you can afford to do that, both financially and as far as your lifestyle, just do it. Who's to stop you from doing that? The thing that's fifth on your list might be the thing you find most energizing in audio to produce and to keep doing. You don't know that until you make it. But with all that said, try to have your first show on a regular schedule that can't be interrupted by adding another show. It needs to be robust enough in and of itself that the second show or the third show will do one of two things. It will benefit the first show. You'll be better at hosting. You've been on mic more. You know how to edit better. You can talk about a wider range of things. Maybe you learn how to tell jokes better on the second show that you can work into the first show. Or go into darker territory on the second show that you can sprinkle into the first show. So there's ways to actually improve as a producer and a host and a speaker, a comedian, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, purely just by being on mic more. Or alternatively, it gives you the opportunity to close down that first show by choice, more so than just it pod fading because you lose interest and you lose time 
and you realise, oh, the second show's newer and more fun. This is fantastic. I'm going to do this one instead. And the audience and the work that's gone into that first show all just gets left in the dust. So again, you want the first show to be robust enough that the second show will only benefit that first show in the long term or it can close down under its own power and not because of lack of resources, whether time, energy or focus. And if you're not there yet, which in retrospect, I was nowhere near that robust with DIY music movement because as soon as I started my second show and then what ended up being a third show about 14 months after I started, so nearly within that first year, DIY music movement went from the most regular show I've probably ever done other than Dead Set Podcasting. I'm going to make this consistent. DIY music movement suffered immensely because the second show particularly was more popular from day one. It was more fun because it was a show about pop culture and progressive rock with my bandmates, two of which are my closest friends in the universe, and we were literally just shifting our conversations, which are generally pretty funny, onto a microphone and our existing audience for the band and also people who like comedy podcasts, we picked up some of those people. Before I closed out all of the analytics and the hosting on those two shows, probably three or four years ago now, DIY Music Movement had continued to accumulate audience the entire run of that show. There was back catalogue power. And where was a lot of that back catalogue power? In the first chunk of the episodes where it was my only focus. The fun prog rock culture show, that had bigger numbers up front, but it had no long tail. So I killed a potentially more important, more evergreen show just to have a little bit of fun at the time. And DIY music movement was fun. It was fun because people would reach out and tell me, wow, how did you get Matt Halpin from Periphery on your show? And how were you not nervous? That's some of the best music marketing podcast content I've heard. So the fun came later with that show. So we'll go into number four now. This is the thing I feel the worst about when I think back. And the most localised, I guess, of all of the things I think I did wrong. I didn't appreciate the feedback I received from anybody outside of North America and the UK. Why was that? Because I cared too much about what podcast people thought about my show, whether they were people teaching podcasting around the podcast hosting space, podcasting quote-unquote experts, and technology audiences that surrounded podcasting. I cared too much about people that talk about podcasting and I cared too little about the musicians that were standing in front of me at a gig or reached out to me from Perth in Western Australia or reached out from Brisbane in the northern parts of the country on the East Coast. I cared too little about those people because to me, I was a podcaster. I'm over being a musician This is just the topic of my show, but I'm a podcaster. That's what I am. 
I'm making podcasts to impress podcasters. And I only see all that in retrospect. So my plan is to go back and any special emails that I got from people that maybe I gave a cursory answer to or anybody that I met through DIY Music Movement that I didn't invest enough time in, whether on Twitter or Facebook back in the day, if I'm still connected to those people, my goal in the next month or two is to touch base with all of them and thank them for listening back in the day and ask them how they're going. And just as a warning, inherent in this show itself is the danger that you'll want to produce a show to impress people like me, or maybe not me, but someone who's talking about podcasting but maybe has more prominence. That person can't help you grow your show or improve your show as much as someone that's face-to-face with you or tweets you or inboxes you on Facebook with something honest about the show that's either touched them or frustrated them because they're the people that spend the chunks of their life listening to your show. Podcast experts and consultants and technologists don't listen to your little podcast on some niche. When Kim Tucci fell pregnant, she was as thrilled as any mum to be. A brother or sister for her two young daughters, or so she thought. So imagine the shock for Kim and her husband Vaughan when they found out that she was expecting not one baby, but five. Number five. This one's quick. I purchased some very expensive podcasting gear without testing it out, which after being a musician that had very fussy standards for a long time and used to test everything before I purchased it, I outlaid a lot of money on a bunch of podcasting gear that did not suit my voice. And when I say that, you don't know you have a sibilant voice until you spend $400 on a microphone that is very hyped up in those frequencies. You wouldn't go and buy the most expensive pair of running shoes at your local sporting store, having never tried them on or never tried anything remotely similar. Maybe if you're rebuying something you're familiar with, are those $240 ASICs, the top line ones, with this certain structure, this arch in the shoe, I know that they're, that's what I need. I'll rebuy those. But at some point in the past, you went and tried on a couple of pairs of shoes. We're talking about double, triple that money for high-end broadcast microphones. People are buying these things, having never spoken into them and heard what they sound like. Because I can tell you one thing. A lot of mics are flattering after production. They can be flattering once you've done work on the sound because mics that have a lot of history are good for a reason. They're not terrible mics, but you have to listen to yourself. And that was the problem with the mystery mic with the number 40 in it. I didn't have a way to remove the sibilant sounds from my microphone. I was piercing literally my own ears every time I said an S. So try the stuff out, people. And I think I said that was going to be short. Obviously, it wasn't. (laughs) I obviously had some emotion tied up around that. Six apples, six trees, six tiny little buzzing bees, six tables, six chairs, six monkey jumping over there, six... Number six. Finding a podcast buddy or friend to do test calls with and to share frustrations with. I was a lone wolf to the nth degree. I didn't ask anyone for help. 
I didn't watch YouTube tutorials. I fumbled around in the dark, essentially. And it all came to a head when I interviewed the aforementioned Matt Halpin from Periphery, who are a massive progressive metal band. But he also, I think at that point, he was already, a, within the world of drumming, one of the up-and-coming heroes of drumming. And I managed to get him on there. This is what happened. I had a new iMac at the time, which is still going strong. I'm recording this episode on it, what, seven years later, and it's still humming along, yes, full, full strength, which is cool. I didn't realise, having changed from a PC to a Mac, just for a little bit of backstory, sorry, I had an R-05 recorder, and I'd worked out a way that I could speak to Matt over this drum platform that he was building at the time, and then record it off onto my recorder. I didn't know that when you delete something off the card, which I'd done previous podcasts onto this same card, that on a Mac you have to empty the rubbish bin for it to actually clear off the card. I guess it's to help you from accidentally moving something to the trash when maybe you're meant to move it to the desktop. Basically, the file regenerates on the card. It's not gone until you actually go into the trash bin and click empty trash. So it fills up during the call. He's super cool dude. He didn't care. He said, okay, just ring me back when you've opened up some space on the card. So I called him back. Straight away, the card says, I'm full, I'm full. And I'm like, oh God, what is going on here? So he was gracious enough to say, okay, maybe just call me on Skype. Do you have a way to record Skype? Which I had done leading up to that with other people using Ecamm call recorder. So thankfully he was okay with that. And he gave me what turned out to be the Skype account that he would use for private drum lessons. So I had half a call on the card. I had half a call on Ecamm. They sounded different. They were different levels. The quality was different. And then I wasn't a great editor at the time, so I had to piece that together. I had one that was a stereo track with both of us on there. I had the Ecamm track that I could basically split both sides and edit more heavily. I had to make that sound natural. They had different amounts of noise in each side because the Roland file was just basically both of us coming out in stereo into that one recording. And I had to go away and do research after the fact of how do I get stuff off this card and why do I only have 512 megabytes on this card that means I'm limited to the amount of time I can record what if Matt had said yeah man I've got 90 minutes if we want to talk for ages this guy was in a band that I was listening to he was one of the great up and coming drummers in progressive rock music and I wouldn't have been able to record any of that because I didn't understand the technology and simple things like deletes not delete on a Mac, like it would be on a PC. So yeah, a podcasting buddy would really have helped me sort that out. I would have known, Josh, you need a bigger card to start with if you want to record directly into the Roland. If you want to make it easy on everybody, maybe ask Matt, you would prefer to use Skype to see if he would be okay with that and to move away from his proprietary platform that he was working on at the time that you're less sure about getting sound out of and the quality of the connection and all that kind of stuff. So a podcast buddy would have helped me know a lot more going into that first really big interview that I did than what I actually happened to at the time. Number seven. Number 
I spent way too much time learning how to Facebook, how to Twitter, how to email, all better. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to be better at marketing and email and promoting the show instead of focusing on what was between minute zero and the end of an episode. Focusing on my pacing and my editing and putting out a file that had a better overall volume level, more balance between topics, guest and myself. All of those things would have meant a better podcast and I would have gotten better at podcasting quicker. Then when it came to the 12-month mark or whenever, I would have been able to go out to Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever else it was happening at the time, with a better product that I felt more confident about that may have had more impact on those networks because people will share a show of really high quality, more so one of low quality. And we'll finish up today with a bonus. This one's, again, a little esoteric, but I really regret this because it impacted two of my best friends. I allowed podcasting to steal too much of my attention away from being a musician. I was looking at every failure in the band as a great opportunity for content for the podcast. I wasn't paying attention to the stress that certain things in the band that were happening were causing my bandmates that weren't podcasters. They were fully invested in the band. And whether it was we disagreed about launching new music or whether we should be filming a film clip versus going away or buying a trailer or pulling our money into a van or whatever the discussion was. I was excited about even the negativity in the band because I thought, oh, this is all cool stuff I can talk about on the podcast. And when you're essentially the main creative engine, for me being the songwriter, of a collective of human beings, they need your attention, particularly when you're there in person. You shouldn't be thinking about, oh, I wonder where this is going to go, rubbing your hands together like, oh, if we work this out, it'd be cool. But if we don't, it's going to be great for the podcast. I can talk about it. Yeah, don't let podcasting distract you from real-life human interaction. Like, if you're sitting there and your your partner or spouse or boss or work colleague, whatever it happens to be, your child, if any of these people are speaking to you, they need your full engagement. They need your full engagement. Don't get lost in podcast world. I know it's hard and podcasting is really exciting and I was lost in podcasting. It was all I was thinking about. But save up that energy and that focus for your preparation and your presentation and your post-production. This has happened to me multiple times. If you think too much about the show when you're not making the show, when you come to do it, you'll be over it or you'll be burnt out. Sorry if that was a bit heavy there at the end, but I guess, yeah, I said that I regretted other things, but that's probably... Now that I've taken it from my head and put it out there to the world, that's probably the thing I regret the most, was losing my engagement in the creation of music when that was what the show was about. Who wants to listen to DIY Music Movement, a show that's built on the experience of a musician that's still trying to do something in terms of their music career when they're looking past their music career to something else? It's, yeah, it's a vicious circle. If you get into that, <laughs> okay. At Joshua C. Liston, 
Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. JoshuaCListon at gmail.com for email. And yeah, I'd love any suggestions for topics. I'm open to it. Thank you for taking what's probably going to be 45 minutes of your life with me in your ears or speakers on your car or whatever. I really appreciate that. And yeah, so this is Dead Set Podcasting. I personally am moving into a different career phase of my life. And I'm hoping that once you guys hear how well edited and produced this show is, you might be able to add me to your recommended providers list of people that offer editing services to up-and-coming podcasters or established shows that need that professional edge, I guess. No pressure. Obviously, that's why I've left it to the end. That's secondary to trying to help people in Australasia. And if you're not from Australasia and you actually managed to sit through all this, thank you. Appreciate that. Obviously, we're open to everyone around the globe. Just the focus is on a different part of the world. And if you're wondering what dead set means, just go Google it and I think it'll make sense. Okay, catch you soon. Oh, wait, sorry. Next week, seven things I did right in my first 12 months of podcasting. And I think those lessons are maybe a little bit more universal. So everyone should be able to get something helpful out of that. Okay, thanks. Bye.